minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Back at it is Pack-A-Day podcast episode number 768. That's a, that's a big number, but another big number is 25K. I'm Alex Shrove, joined by Mr. 25K, Andy Herman, and the lovely Perry Goldstein. Guys, uh, we're back at it. Good, good to see you guys again. How are we? Uh, I was at Lambeau Field today, uh, taking in Packers practice in a scrimmage-type setting. So I'm on cloud nine. How are you doing, Perry? <laughs> You're definitely better than I am, but I'm good. I had a good weekend. I was telling Andy pre-show I moved, so um, pretty busy, but happy to be doing the podcast tonight. Yeah, you guys are a lot busier than I am, um, but uh, yeah, that's that's fun. And obviously, New York moving sounds like a total blast, Perry, so um, I'm not too jealous of you. I wouldn't recommend it, I will say. <laughs> well, let's jump right into it. Pack practice number 12 was yesterday on Sunday, and as Andy mentioned, he was there in historic Lambeau Field. Uh, Andy, you've had 11 wraps at this, so we're going to give you number 12. I imagine you're getting pretty good. Sights, sounds, headlines, all the in-betweens. What, what, what stuck out to you on Sunday? Yeah, well, first of all, it was, you know, just nice to see them in full pads at Lambeau Field. They didn't do full tackling, but they did a ton of team sessions. They did some special teams. They did some, uh, you know, specific situations, uh, you know, backed up in their own end zone, things like that. So uh, it was scripted, but it sounds like, you know, from a play calling standpoint, it was a little bit more unscripted, uh, which is something Matt LaFleur wanted to accomplish. I thought the pacing, the energy was all good. They were kind of practicing with some of the the sound, uh, the ambient sound, if you will, uh, once again. So yeah, uh, yeah. I think they're trying to get used to that. But as far as some, you know, players that stood out to me, I'll start with Rashawn Gary. Uh, I thought, you know, just over the last few practices, I don't know if, you know, the the flip switched, if the light bulb went on, whatever the case may be. We know he has the talent. We know the effort, the energy, and the want to is there. But it just seemed like something was lacking. And, and honestly, it was just kind of the results that were lacking. Everything else seemed to be there. And over the course of these last few practices, he just seems like a man on a mission. Uh, he was fantastic again today. It was weird if you looked up and he and you didn't see him in the back field. So what, when you're talking about a defense that already boasts, uh, you know, a Kenny Clark, a Darius Smith and a Preston Smith up front, it, it, it's hard not to get excited about that potential. Now, there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk last year of Rashawn Gary playing well in in training camp and and uh, and in practices and things like that. And somebody asked me on Twitter today. They said, you know, what's what's the difference this year? What, you know, why would I be excited this year uh, when you know we heard some of the same things last year and it didn't translate onto the field? And I said the biggest difference is he's doing it against better players. So you see him going up uh, against the ones a little bit more, and uh, you see him having the level of success. Nobody's really gotten to David Bakhtiari, so that includes. Uh, Rashawn Gary in that group, but outside of that, you know, R Rashawn Gary's had a really nice uh, preseason or you know offseason uh, training camp, and he kind of continued that today. Uh, MVS is another player, and, and I tweeted this out as well. I've been I've been hesitant to say anything about MVS because uh, two years in a row we've talked about MVS and his potential and his ability. He started uh, 2018 with, you know, obviously the Mike McCarthy offense as a major player within that offense. He picked up steam as midseason went along, and by the end of the year, he found himself on the bench. Next year, Matt LaFleur, he finds himself in a, in a major part of that receiver rotation to start the season. By the end of the year, he finds himself on the bench. So we're heading into year three, uh, you know, and it seems like he's going to have another 
opportunity. I'm, I'm hesitant to say anything, but he's been really good in practice, much more consistent. His hands, uh, he's plucking everything in midair with his hands. He looks more confident. His routes are better. He's gaining more separation. A great example of that today uh, was a play against Kevin King. He beat King inside. King was grabbing him. King actually got the penalty on the play. MVS fought through it and uh, was able to make the catch. I believe he actually converted three third downs uh, into first downs today from Aaron Rodgers. So uh, you love to see that from MBS, and hopefully you can continue that. Darius Shepard had a big day, a couple of uh, big plays downfield. If I remember correctly, I believe one was from Boyle and one was from Love. Uh, two shot plays downfield came down with both of them. I believe both would have been touchdowns. So uh, he continues to, to kind of, uh, you know, really do everything in his power to kind of continue to remain in the conversation at wide receiver. Uh, two edge rushers, uh, Jonathan Garvin and uh, Tipa Naliai, which I always thought it was Tipa Galea, but Tipa Naliai uh, is apparently how you pronounce it, at least according to the Packers media guide. But uh, both of those guys continue to be really fun to watch. And for a seventh round pick and a undrafted free agent, uh, I, I think both of them are further along than uh, anyone would have expected at this point. So uh, both of them were consistently in the backfield. Tipa had uh, a couple pressures as well as a, a play that would have been a tackle for a loss on a play where he did a really great job of setting the edge. And kind of like Rashawn Gary, uh, the one thing you almost had to look up is whether it was number 52 or number 53, it seemed like one of them was constantly in the backfield. And uh, that, that's a uh, kudos to Jonathan Garvin, who, again, as a seventh round pick, people thought he was going to need some time to develop. Uh, he's looked really good so far too. So that was promising. And then my last one uh, real quick is, is if there was one player who had kind of a down day, I'd have to say it was Josh Jackson. And there was about a five play period in which there were three plays involving Josh Jackson. And it just kind of gives you the full Josh Jackson experience. So on the first play, fantastic coverage, you know, uh, it was an inside route. He had it perfectly. Should have made the interception, doesn't make the interception. You're not going to get on him too much for that, uh, but dropped the ball, but still made a nice play on the ball, broke it up, great play. All right, next play uh, is same drive, you know, in inbound or in cutting route, I should say, kind of classic Josh Jackson all over the receiver, penalty thrown on the play. It was probably only like an eight-yard route, nothing egregious, but just another instance of him using his hands a little bit too aggressively, getting called for a penalty. Technically, the flag was picked up because the ball was batted at the line, but you're still grading that as a negative for Jackson. And then a couple plays later, uh, it was a blitz by the defense. They kind of go all out, and uh, Jackson's one-on-one -on -one on the outside with Malik Turner. I always get Malik Turner and Malik Taylor confused. I apologize, but uh, Malik Turner, um, and uh, he out, you know, does a diving play, outstretched arms, but it goes right past his fingertips. Turner catches the pass along the sidelines. Because the blitz was on, there's no deep safety. Turner turns it upfield, gains an additional 40 yards after the catch for the touchdown. Uh, you know, one, you can't blame Jackson too much because who can anticipate the laser rocket arm that Tim Boyle really has until you see it in person. But, uh, you know, to be, um, you know, critical, you know, that's just one of those plays that Josh has got to make to make sure that, you know, maybe he can't make the play on the ball, but he's got to be able to make the tackle, give up the 10 yards, live to see another down. And then a little bit later in the game or not in the game, but in the practice, uh, there was a play Lazard gets away. I couldn't tell him the play if, if Jackson was in a cover two, if it was a man, I'm not sure on the defense. So I don't want to put too much blame on Josh Jackson on this one, but it was Jackson on coverage in some capacity on Alan Lazard. Lazard goes streaking downfield. Rogers finds him in the end zone and there was another touchdown. So a little bit of a tough day uh, for Josh Jackson, but uh, overall I thought they got a lot of great stuff accomplished and, and certainly some guys stood out.
I just drank half of my summer shandy listening to you, Andy, and that was incredibly enjoyable. So thank you for that. <laughs> a full rundown from every practice by Andy at 24-7 Sports and Packer Report. But I know Perry can empathize with me here. We're not there like you are, Andy. So we've gotten really good at reading tweets. But, Andy, we saw one uh, that that you sent out today. You said uh, you compared the Packers' top four pass rushers to the Giants in 07. Uh, That's high praise, my friend. It is. And and I also think it is worthy praise. So uh, I think, first of all, to me, Zadarius Smith can be in any conversation with the best defensive player in football last year. And he just does not strike me as a player that now that he's found that ability, that he's going to slow down in any capacity. He's had a really nice offseason, a really nice training camp, continues to show up. The guy's a beast. I still expect him to be one of the best defensive players in all of football this year. And I, I just think there's so many players who are really good on defense, but they play maybe a specific position. It's almost in a way like, like Charles Woodson, where Dom Capers at that time was able to line up Charles Woodson and and do so many different things with him. He could, I mean, Woodson was basically able to be used as a corner, a safety an edge rusher an outside linebacker, whatever you wanted him to be in that season, Woodson could be in the same token, Zadarius Smith, you would just line him up over whatever is the best mismatch for your defense. You know, if if you want to line him up against, against uh, a Garrett Bradbury who struggles with with power, you know, just line him up over center and he can do that. You can line him up left, right, hand in the ground, standing up. And I just think that makes him that much more dangerous. We saw what Preston did a season ago. And, and in a way, I think Preston's season last year got um, a little bit uh, undervalued because of how great Zedarius was, because Zedarius had such an epic season. I think, you know, Preston almost got lost in the shuffle. I think everyone realized he was good, but he had a really, really nice season. We know what Kenny can do. And then you add the potential of a Rashawn Gary and what he's been able to do in practice so far. I'm hesitant to crown Gary until I see it in games, but the, the potential is there for that to be just an absolutely fearsome front four, especially on passing downs. Perry, is Andy insane or is that is that fair praise? Both. no I mean I completely agree um I think you're right in that Preston gets a little bit overlooked I still think he had like what 12 sacks last season so on any other team he would be their number one you know talked about much much more but he's behind a guy like Darius who somehow had an even better season than he did and I think that when you add in Rashawn, maybe even Jonathan Garvin, just if pressure is coming at you from everywhere and anywhere, interior, um, on the outside, you get Kenny. It's just, it's hard for me to imagine a team with any kind of average or below average offensive line, like being able to do anything against the Packers. And I was just looking back at this too. So through the first eight games of last year, um, in my grades, Preston Smith was a plus po- uh, plus 7.5. Zadarius Smith was a plus 7.3. So those guys through the first half of the season, I actually gave a slight nod to Preston. And then Preston kind of slowed down. Uh, slowed down. He still had a nice end of the season, but, you know, was a little bit more, I guess, pedestrian for him the rest of the season. And then Zadarius took off. But you look at the first eight games and go back and kind of watch those. Those two were neck and neck for, you know, which one you thought was going to be the better of the Smiths. And then Zadarius just kind of went bonkers. Absolutely. Good stuff. And we will uh, we will get more to different players and dissect them a little bit here in a little bit. But we have some NFC uh, North news to take care of. Defensive lineman Yannick Ngakwe, I think I did okay with that, has been traded from sunny Jacksonville, Florida to Minneapolis, Minnesota. He will line up 
with the Dom Capers and company there in Minnesota. Weird, Weird indeed, right? Um, but obviously the Vikings lost quite a few defensive pieces this offseason, and now they add a bona fide star in Yannick Ngakwe. Perry, I'll get your reaction on this first. Obviously, this is, uh, this is a great ad for Minnesota. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think at first I was like, oof, okay, you know, him alongside Danil Hunter is going to be a really just great pass rush duo. I mean, they yeah. did lose Everson Griffin, so I think that there is some sort of like net there, you know, but Yannick is, I think, seven years younger. He's only like 25, so yeah. you're, you're getting um, an upgrade, a slight upgrade, I'd say, from like an age perspective. I think... The one thing for me in that, you know, they have some, they have a great defense. I think their cornerbacks are iffy, but beside that, they're a pretty whole defense. I just think that this acquisition has put them in a really precarious cap position um, on a year where they already didn't have any cap space. I think this pretty much ate up the rest of it. And now he is potentially another big contract decision next season when they already have Dalvin Cook and Anthony Harris. So this might be like a one year situation for Yannick, kind of an all in with the Vikings, um, which is fine. It got him out of a situation that he was clearly unhappy in. So I'm happy that he is now in a place where he feel like he can, you know, have a positive atmosphere around him. But um, I just think trading away draft capital and, running up your your cap space the way the Vikings did isn't isn't long term sustainable. Yeah, I think it was a second and fifth, if I'm not mistaken, for Ngakwe. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think that's that's what it ended up being. But Andy, uh, we'll get your expertise up on this move for Minnesota. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what Perry said. So first of all, it's a it's a second and a fifth at minimum. It turns into a, a second and a fourth if he makes the Pro Bowl and a second and a third, which uh, don't laugh, but a second and a third if they win the Super Bowl and he makes the Pro Bowl. So I'm laughing, sorry. It will not, be, <laughs> will not be a second and a third, but potentially a second and a fourth or a second and a fifth. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, Perry hit on a lot of the stuff I was going to go over, but uh, I kind of looked at this as a good news, bad news sort of thing. So uh, I'll do the bad news first. First of all, Yannick is fantastic. So you don't want to see him in the NFC North and you don't want to see great pass rushers uh, having to go against the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. And when you put Daniil Hunter, Yannick Ngakwe, Robert Quinn, Khalil Mack, um, you know, Trey Flowers, that, that's a lot of really talented pass rushers in the NFC North week in and week out that you're going against. So that's obviously, you know, bad news. And as far as this move goes, I think this legitimately, from a Vikings standpoint, this is a player that could potentially flip a game from a, a Packers-Vikings game. So, you know, he makes a, a key pressure on third down that, you know, causes Green Bay to punt. He has a, you know, a, a sack fumble. Uh, you know, he makes a, a big play that forces an interception. He He's that type of player that can make that type of play that could potentially swing a game um, in the NFC North standings. And when you, you know, talk about not only maybe being an extra loss for Green Bay, but then an extra win for Minnesota, those things can entirely swing the division. So I do think that it's it's obviously not a great thing for him to be in Minnesota. I think it could, you know, potentially again help them win the NFC North. Um, I, I don't favor them to do so, but it, it certainly helps them. 
Uh, he fits their defense perfectly. I mean, you want a, a guy off the edge screaming off the edge in Mike Penton's defense. You got those double A gap blitzers in the middle with Kendricks and Anthony Barr. Um, you know, then you got Daniil and uh, Yannick on the outside. I mean, one, you may not need to do quite as much blitzing with Daniil and Yannick on the outside, but two, he fits exactly what they want to do. And then, you know, I went back and, you know, it's not a secret at this point, and, and it's been mentioned in the, the conference calls that Billy Turner and, and Rick Wagner are, you know, competing for that right tackle spot. Well, I went back uh, last year when the, the, the Packers had signed Billy Turner and looked at, you know, the games that he struggled with. Well, he struggled with D Ford. That was the one guy he had, Billy Turner, when he was at tackle, I should say. Uh, back in his days in in Denver, he he graded terribly against D Ford. And you want to talk about similar players in D Ford and Yannick Ngakwe, first step quickness, explosiveness off the line, going to beat you with speed. That's the type of player that Turner struggles with. So again, mo- more bad news. And it just ultimately, this is a move that makes Minnesota better. Now, the good news, it may not seem like there be good news after I go over all of that, but I, I do not believe in any capacity that this is a Super Bowl team for the Vikings. And to me, this is a, as as Perry mentioned, kind of an all-in move. And in my opinion, when you do those type of moves, you get yourself into purgatory. And I believe with Kirk Cousins as quarterback and continuing to spend, you know, these draft picks and going out and spending all this money, one, they're going to end up in a salary cap nightmare in, in years to come. And two, again, I believe it puts you in, uh, in like 10 and six, purgatory where you're a really good football team. You could threaten green Bay and the rest of the division for the NFC North, but you're probably still not anywhere close enough to actually winning a super bowl. So, you know, kudos to them for going and getting a football player, you know, a really good football player. Um, but ultimately I think you end in, in maybe a 10 and six season with a, you know, 25th, 26th overall pick in the draft and no closer to a super bowl win. So, um, you know, if you're looking at it from a Packers standpoint, I, I guess that kind of counts as a win. Yeah, this team had a wacky offseason. I mean, you look at some of the big headlines out of Minnesota this offseason. Stephon Diggs traded to uh, to Buffalo and then drafting Justin Jefferson. A lot of d- defensive pieces, as you guys hit them all, um, out of town now. So it, they're looking at, you know, rebuilding this defense. Uh, they have their new co they have co-defensive coordinators, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, and who are they? Patterson and Zimmer. Um, so, I mean, this team's really looking to add some fuel to the fire, get that sense of urgency up as we enter this weird 2020 season. And the, you cannot go wrong with one of the best young pass rushers in Yannick Ngakwe. He finished last season with eight sacks. Um, so not too shabby down in Jacksonville. But we'll see what he can do and see if he can wreak havoc. And fingers crossed he can't, at least against the Packers um, <laughs> in the NFC North. Another big headline over the weekend, though, guys, Jordan Love uh, and expectations have been popping up all over on the aforementioned cesspool Twitter. Um, so let's get right to it, man. I mean, obviously, he's it often gets compared to the Aaron Rodgers situation in 05. First off, we know how much I hate that comparison. I think it's a horrible one. Um, and it, it, again, it is different, right? They traded up for him. They know he's the future. And now when he struggles, allegedly, and Andy, I'll get your thoughts on this in a second, um, it, it's either fair or not fair, out of bounds, inbounds, whatever. Um, but Jordan Love getting a lot of attention um, as he quote unquote struggles early in camp. Andy, I want to start with you on that though. Yeah. So th- this is obviously a, a complex topic because yeah. there's there's never been a, a true off season like this for a rookie quarterback who's coming into this situation that doesn't have rookie minicamp, OTAs, etc. When the Packers drafted Jordan Love. 
uh, in, even in a nor- if it was a normal season, the expectation was that it's going to take probably a couple of years for him to develop, kind of grow into the position, grow into the offense, et cetera. And the thought process at the time is it's a great position for him to go to. He can learn under Rodgers. There's not an, a, a ton of pressure up front, and he gets that time to learn. Now, of course, we have this weird offseason. You know, he, the, the, the phrase that Matt LaFleur uses is that he's thinking out there. And he said today he was thinking less. He had a couple of nice drives today. But I do think it is fair. Uh, to say that Jordan Love has struggled uh, through the first, uh, you know, couple weeks of practice. I also believe it's fair to say that was pretty much expected. Uh, you know, so I was on the, the radio with John Papadopoulos in lacrosse earlier this last week. And one of the things I said to him is really the only thing that we know about Jordan Love right now that we didn't know previously uh, to some extent, is that he's not ready to play now. If there was ever this idea where maybe he was going to be this Deshaun Watson or somebody that just comes in and is ready to go and set the world on fire right away, that's not the case. But that was never expected to be the case. So I don't know that we've we've learned a ton about Jordan Love. Um, there's been some you know some issues with accuracy, but you can tell that he again is thinking through things. So played a ton of shotgun at Utah State. Didn't play under center. His footwork is is still all over the place. He's learning where his you know uh, plant points needs to, need to be on his drops. You know he's learning how to to kind of move within the system. He's learning the play calls. He's learning the plays. He's learning the players. Like it is just a massive undertaking. Uh, for a player who was playing in the Mountain West, who's now under his third coach in three seasons. You know, there's a lot going on with Jordan Love. And to say that he is going to pass, fail, or whatever uh, in this small period of time, I I just think it is is not fair to him, nor am I saying that, you know, anyone was necessarily doing that. But um, I think it's fair to say that he struggled. I think it's fair to say that that was expected. And again, I think the only thing that we've learned at this point is that uh, he's not ready to play now, and that's fine, and that's what we expected. So, Andy, you're okay with the criticism pretty much overall? Yeah, on, I mean, so here, here's my take on it, right? So, what, what do you, you know, what do you want the reporters to, to kind of report at from practice? Exactly. I would, I would, I would expect that you would want them to report what they see at practice. And what I, I actually, I told actually Matt Schneiderman this. I said, one, I thought he, he was spot on. And I said, two, I think if anything, the media has actually kind of gone easy on Jordan Love because of this weird offseason and not having, you know, super high expectations for him. Um, he hasn't looked comfortable. He, he hasn't looked totally natural playing the position. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's fair to, to point out what we've seen. And I don't think anyone, uh, Matt included, has, has taken it to say, well, that means he's a bust or that means he's going to fail or that means he's not where he's expected to be right now. If I had to say, you know, I think maybe he's uh, a, maybe a little bit behind where I would have expected, but not in any sort of egregious way. And I just don't think we can judge him yet at this point based on where things are at. So uh, these things take time. I think it's fair to report on what we, you know, what people have seen at practice. And I don't think anyone made any errors in that regard. Fair enough. Perry, I'll toss this uh, topic over to you. Obviously, uh, a lot going on regarding Jordan Love over the past, I don't know, 48, 72 hours. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Andy, to be honest. Like, I I don't even view anyone saying Jordan Love is struggling even as a criticism. Like, it just kind of feels like an observation. And it's okay that he is. Like Andy said, it's kind of expected. I think 
he was i mean anyone who's taken any first round pick especially a quarterback is going to be scrutinized right like it doesn't matter that jordan love was never going to have the starting position there's no camp battle going on like everyone knows aaron Rodgers is starting the season he's going to be our starter for the foreseeable future barring something catastrophic happening so going into this being like you know jordan love is developmental we just want to see what he's got. He's only had 12 practices. Like, that's it. So to say that he's struggling, like, yeah, fair. I just don't see anything kind of wrong with it. Like, I think it's okay. It's not like it's year three and we're thinking about some transition here and, you know, all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, always, you know, Jordan Love has been, you know, struggling, not being able to put it together. Like Andy said, he just has a lot going on and I think he's taking it day by day and, one of my favorite, honestly, Matt LaFleur quotes from this offseason has been, I just want to see him get 1% better every single day. I think it's just such a realistic expectation for him. Yep. Um, it's something that he can do. Like, he's learning behind the best. You know, we can we can say all we want, you know, first-round pick. He should be amazing. He has all these traits. But, like, they still need to mold him. And so um, – I liked hearing today that he had some really good drives um, in practice. Obviously, he's only playing with kind of, a, I'm assuming, the third string guys. But um, I just think it's a fair take, and I'm just going to see how it unfolds. Um, like I said, it's been 12 practices, so right. the extended scrutiny just feels, if it was happening, I don't think it is would feel unwarranted. Um, and I I don't know. I think Andy just kind of hit the nail on the head, right? Like, he's developmental. Um, I think it's okay that he's QB3 because Tim Boyles looked unbelievable, according to some people's Twitters that I read. Um, <laughs> and, and, and Aaron Rodgers is going to be the starter, and Aaron Rodgers could be the starter for three years. I think the one thing that we actually have with – Jordan Love is time. I think yeah. time is on our side with him um, to see what he's got. So I am not out here saying, oh, he looks bad. I'm so disappointed. Oh, we wasted a first round pick. Like it, it, he's where he was always going to be in my eyes. Yeah. And you're not saying that nobody's really saying that. I haven't seen a ton of overreaction by any means. I just see some criticism, which you should expect in year one of a first round draft pick. Right. I, I think Absolutely. this is. I think this is more of a situation than than it needs to be, but nonetheless, um, I think everything uh, Matt Schneidman, as he, as he referenced before, did was it was in bounds and fair, uh, at least through my scope. So there, there there's that. There's our uh, our weekly Jordan Love segment, um, and, and now we're going to move on. Uh, Perry and I were talking because Andy's, of course, been at practice. Uh, for the last two, three weeks. So we're going to throw some names at Andy um, and see how he buys or sells their stock uh, for the upcoming 2020 season. It could be somebody that could be in the starting lines. It could be somebody that's on the border of making the 53-man roster. It could be somebody that could really just not have a great year. So we'll uh, we'll throw quite a few names at Andy and see what uh, he has to say. Perry, I'll, I'll let you lead off. Well, it's funny because as we were, as Andy was giving his uh, kind of camp overview earlier, yeah. he was naming so many of the people right. that we picked out. So I tried I guess, to do that too. <laughs> so I guess we'll just expand. But my first one that came to mind, which shouldn't be that surprising after kind of his up and down, is Josh Jackson. Yeah, so I, this was another interesting one that kind of caught some eyes. Uh, Matt, Matt Schneiderman, again, for The Athletic, when he was doing, he actually wrote this article, uh, it was like a buy or sell article, and uh, he was selling on on Josh Jackson, which a, a lot of people had reported that, you know, Jackson had had a really nice camp up until that time. 
And uh, I thought it was another astute observation from Matt. And I kind of leaned, you know, towards him in, in, in a little bit more. So long story short, I'm going to say sell uh, on Josh Jackson, especially, you know, after today. I, I just think he's had a lot of really nice plays in, in training camp and in practice. Uh, but you still see that inconsistency. And the biggest thing with Josh Jackson that's got him into trouble through the first couple seasons has been that level of consistency. And it's just a position where you can't trust that. If, if you're going to have trouble with holding and if you're going to have trouble giving up big plays and maybe gambling here or there on a route, um, it, you, it's it's almost an all or nothing. You know, you're, you're probably going to find yourself um, you know, off the field more than you're on it in those type of situations. And uh, yeah, so I think he's made some really nice plays. I think he's made some progress. I think Green Bay is right to play him more at outside corner, which I'm not breaking anything. The, the defensive coaches uh, said that specifically in their press conference that they focused him uh, specifically at outside corner this off season. And I think that's the right move, uh, but still just too inconsistent. And today was another great example of that. So I, I'm going to sell on Josh Jackson. Fair answer. Uh, my first one, and you might have to be careful with this, given uh, the new rules the Packers released. And obviously, we heard this guy's name a lot early practice, but that's because he was allegedly playing a position he's not listed at. That'd be Tyler Irvin for me, Andy. I'm buying, and I'm, I'm buying aggressively. So uh, again, yeah, can't, can't go over too much of, of where he's been at, but uh, I just feel like he is going to be featured more maybe than uh, people would expect. And he's, he's looked a lot better um, in his routes. His hands have looked better. He's made contested catches. Um, I think Green Bay's, you know, can continue to use him in a variety of ways like they did uh, last year in, in 28 or 2019 with limited playing time. And, uh, you know, I would expect him to have, you know, opportunities again as a returner. Uh, and yeah, again, I, I don't want to, you know, divulge too much here, but uh, buying aggressively on Tyler Irvin, who I think has had one of the best uh, training camps and, and uh, really practice sessions of, uh, of any player on the team. I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Matt LaFleur does. He said today, I think, that he's super excited about all four of those running backs and is planning on getting all of them involved. So I'm assuming if we're considering Tyler Irvin a running back still, he is part of that statement. Um, so I'm going to stick, I'm sticking with the offense too. And, and this could kind of get interchanged between two players, but I'll just pick the first one that came to mind, which is Billy Turner. Um, I'm just, the right side of the line seems just really interesting to me right now, huge question mark, especially because Lane Taylor has seemed like he's had an amazing camp. So where are you at with Billy can be, can be interchanged with Rick, Rick Wagner as well. Yeah, I'm buying on Billy Turner and I'm surprised I'm saying that because uh, you know, when I did the the article in, uh, you know, after he had signed with the Packers, you know, looking at him, uh, you know, he graded poorly for me as a tackle in Denver and he, and he graded well at guard. And he was an interesting player last year, you know, through about, I want to say like the first 13, 14 games he graded as about a, a, a net even player as a guard, which is a starting player that those players are still hard to, to find along the offensive line. So that that's not a bad thing. Uh, but then he had the injuries towards the end of the season, really struggled at the end of the year. But I just don't, you know, I didn't feel like he had the foot speed uh, to play on the outside. I, I had a lot of concerns, but he's he's really answered the call for me so far. And the, the real test will be in games. But 
Uh, I feel a lot better about Billy Turner um, on the outside than I did uh, going into to practices for sure. I mean, my my bold prediction was that Rick Wagner was going to start all 16 games. Uh, you know, this was before camp started that he was going to start all 16 games and that Billy Turner wasn't even really going to be in the conversation as a starting tackle. And uh, that does not seem like I'm going to be very right in that regards at the moment. But uh, I've, I'm going to buy in Billy Turner. My last offensive one, Andy, is uh, somebody you've only been able to see for about two and a half weeks now. That's wide receiver Malik Turner. Yeah, he's an interesting player. Uh, that, uh, that is one I did not spend time thinking about. I'm, I'm gonna I got go, you there. We're good. No, that's good. He's actually <laughs> been a nice player in, in practice. He's been, uh, again, it's so weird to sort of tiptoe around what I can say and what I cannot say. Right. So I'm not trying to uh, to not answer your question here. I will sell on him because I don't, I think he is probably more of like a a practice squad player, but I think it was a really savvy signing by Brian Gutekunst, getting a guy in who's played in the league. And if he, if they can find a way um, to sneak him on the practice squad, uh, there's, there's a a certain amount of practice squad players. I believe it's four who can have any level of experience and you can still put him on the practice squad this year. If they can get him on the practice squad and have a guy who can come up and has played the game and has played special teams in the league and can do a variety of different things. I think that has the, the ability to be a really savvy free agent signing. Um, do I expect him to be, you know, a, a major factor on offense, whether he makes the team or gets called up later in the year, whatever the case may be? I don't, but um, I think you need those type of players as depth on your team, especially in a season that's going to be so dependent upon depth like we think it will be. So um, I'm going to sell overall, but I, I think there's still some value there that Brian Gutekunst could get out of that signing. Good stuff. Yeah. All right, so I'm I'm switching to the other side of the ball because this is a player that I think was drafted finally in the draft this season at a, quote, position of need, and he's been all over Twitter um, as someone who's, who's made a lot of plays. So you've seen it live, and I'm really curious your thoughts on Kamal Martin. I am buying aggressively on Kamal Martin. So... This is another one in the same vein as Rashawn Gary and and Billy Turner, where I really want to see what happens when the game comes on. Because again, it's one thing to do it in practice, but Kamal has been as advertised. He's looked good in coverage. His instincts have been good. Uh, His his ability to read what the offense is trying to do. He made a great play on a cutback today. I forget who the running back was, but I think it was Dexter Williams uh, kind of was, you know, patiently awaiting and and Williams cut back and he was right there, uh, made the stop. He's shown up in almost every single practice. I've been incredibly impressed with where Kamal Martin is at, especially for a fifth round pick. I think if, um, again, I don't know what I can say here, but I think uh, there's, I think there's an opportunity for him uh, to make a really big impact as soon as this year. And I don't think it's uh, unfair to say that he's been the best rookie uh, from this rookie class so far. So uh, aggressively buying. Wow. Let's, let's stick with that grouping. And I want to ask about Ty Summers. Yeah. So I, I'm going to, um, I'm going to hold, I don't know if that's okay. an option. I'm going I'm to hold on, on Ty Summers. I mean, I'm it's not going to show, buy- dude, you can do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> whatever shares I have in, in Ty Summers, I'm just going to hold because okay. uh, I, I don't think that he's done anything that would lead me to believe that he's going to be a major impact player. I also don't think that he has done anything that would show me that he's not ready if called upon. And uh, I think he still has uh, some of that, you know, obviously that same athleticism that he had last year that he showed. I think that he, uh, you know, seems a little bit more sure of himself in the defense this year. 
So I don't know how much of a, a chance he's going to get on defense. I still expect him to be a core special teams player. Would certainly expect him to make the team. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I said, I think he's in a very similar spot probably as he was a season ago with maybe a little bit more, you know, knowledge and, and savvy under his wings. Okay. Wow. Um I have so many, Andy, but I'm going to go with someone who I think I haven't read a lot about, but I personally am very high on. So um, what have you seen from Chandon Sullivan? Oh, I'm in love with Chandon Sullivan. Chandon <laughs> Sullivan is guy. Uh, you know, there was kind of the talk um, from the, the, the defensive coaches of saying, you know, is, you know, maybe we'll put Jair some in the slot. Maybe we can move Kevin King in the slot. Maybe Raven Green, you know, they, they kind of, or, you know, Darnell Savage, they kind of named some different names man, Sullivan's been fantastic. And I think the thing that really has gotten lost, if you guys remember late last year at the end of preseason, um, when it, where nobody really knew you know, too much about Chandon at the time, in the last preseason game, uh, they uh, practiced him at safety and uh, he played it well. And I think that versatility was one of the reasons that they were you know, high on him and wanted to sneak him on the roster. He's obviously you know, stuck at cornerback and there's no um, you know, there's no real question of where he's going to play, but I, the thing that got lost is that he is a physical football player and he is really, really strong in run defense. And as a, as a, as a certain corner on the field, uh, hmm. you need to have the ability to, to be a really strong run defender. And I think Chandon has that in spades and he has shown no signs of slowing down today. Actually, he allowed a completion and I kind of thought out loud and I may have tweeted as well. Like, I can't remember a completion that he had allowed, you know, through practice so far up until today. And it was nothing major. It was maybe like a, I don't know, like a 12 yard completion or something. Um, and, and I think it was against Devante, who's fairly good football player. Uh, you know, and he's just been stingy in pass defense. He's filled every run gap uh, to his side of the field. I, I, I absolutely love Chan. Sullivan. Well, I love your analysis. No, sorry. That's a bye, by the way. <laughs> I was going to say, we. I love to hear the run defense because we, when we play that much dime, we need our, we need our defensive backs to be able to stop the run just as much. So. Yeah. Yep, I'm right there with you. Andy, uh, really good stuff, man. And we, we appreciate uh, your view from inside the bubble, if you will, um, uh, of Packers practice, man. It's been a weird, weird summer, but but your, uh, your, your coverage has brought some normalcy and uh, some smiles and not too many frowns. So that's that's a positive. But I have a, I have something that will absolutely put a smile on each of your faces. The next time we do this, guys, we will be breaking down a Packers Vikings game in two weeks. So uh, we're done with the off season talk now, baby. It's uh, it's almost it's almost time for the real deal. Can't wait. That's gonna be I so can't believe fun. that. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's been a crazy year, but we're getting football back in just two weeks. So until then, for Perry Goldstein, for Andy Herman, I'm Alex Strofe. Thanks so much for rocking with us here on Packaday Podcast. We'll see you in a few weeks. Peace.